reading from Jonah is this will have a lot to do with uh, the sermon this morning. Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And so it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity on Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much more livestock? What does the ending of that story do for you? For me, it's like a cliffhanger. Like, okay, what's going to happen next? Did Jonah get it? Did he learn his lesson? You know, what happened to Nineveh? Well, history tells us eventually what happened to Nineveh. But it's like a cliffhanger. And I think there's a reason for that. But before we actually get to that reason, there are some things I want us to, to look at when discussing the story. Because this is... One of those very familiar stories, right? I mean, you open up all your children's Bible books and the story of Jonah is going to be one of them. I mean, you got creation, you got the flood, you got Daniel in the lion's den, and you got Jonah, right? So we remember the story and it's very familiar to us, at least in its general surroundings. We we see God in chapter one calls Jonah to preach judgment upon Nineveh. And what does he do? He flees. He refuses to go. And so he finds the first ship at Joppa, goes on as far as he can reach to a place called Tarshish, hoping that that's far enough away from God's presence. And while he's on the ship, God prepares a storm. God is preparing a storm. He's intervening because Jonah refused to go to Nineveh. And these people are finding out, you know, what's going on with this storm? Why is it? Oh, I know what we'll do. We'll cast lots. We're going to draw straws. And that's going to help figure out the answer, right? 
draw straws. Guess what? Jonah's name gets selected. And they say, now, Jonah, you fess up. And Jonah says, well, listen, I believe in Jehovah who created the land and the sea, and he is the one that, that made this storm. It's because of me. And he tells them the reason that, that he was told to go to Nineveh and what have you. Of course, we just read that in the fourth chapter. And these men are deathly afraid that this storm is because of him. They believe his story. And Jonah says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to throw me overboard. And then the sea will calm down. They paddle even harder. They go even harder in that storm so that they don't have to lose the life of one of the men on board. There's compassion for Jonah. They don't want him to go into the sea. It would have been easy for them to say, you know what? We believe your story. You're overboard. They didn't want to do it. But of course, the storm gets only worse. And eventually they pray out to Jonah's God. They pray out to Jehovah. Please have mercy upon them. They don't want his blood, Jonah's blood, on their heads and their hands, if you will. And so they reluctantly, in praying to God, throw Jonah overboard. And just as surely as God prepared that storm for Jonah, he calms the sea. In the meantime, God also prepares something else for Jonah, that great fish prepares that fish to take Jonah, swallows him up. It, this is not a coincidence. This is God's divine intervention. And in the second chapter, we see what happens. He repents and prays to God. It is a beautiful writing in the second chapter. It's in psalm form. The poetry, phenomenal. Now, I say that because when I read it, it's pretty good to me. I'm not saying it because I'm a professional linguist or grammarian. I don't know anything about these kind of things. But I'll tell you what, it sounds beautiful to me. And those that are into language and linguistics, Jonah's writings are one of the most finest writings ever written. We don't think about that when we think of the story of Jonah. Because that first chapter is likened unto the third chapter. And if you go verb for verb, story for story, it is a complete antithesis. I mean, it's just the opposite from one to the other. God, again, calls Jonah, just like he did in the first chapter, first verse. Jonah, again, responds. But this time, instead of refusing him, he accepts the calling. And he goes. I mean, it's just a beautiful picture, storyline-wise. He goes again. And guess what? The people of Nineveh, when they hear it from the king, down to the animals, are commanded by the king's decree to wear sackcloth and ashes. So here they are, 120,000 persons, plus whoever else may be there, and all the animals, all the livestock, sackcloth, animals. God sees their repentant hearts. And he relents upon his judgment upon them. Just as Jonah was called to go preach those 40 days and 40 nights. And of course, as a result of that, Jonah gets upset with God in the fourth chapter. He sulks, waiting to see what's going to happen of this um, take place against the city. Hoping that something bad would happen. I mean, I think it's important for us to kind of take a step back. As we look at this familiar story. 
If you're a Jew, you're living in about 800, 750 before Christ. The Assyrians are powerful, although not quite as powerful. They've just they've taken the Israelites into captivity. Judah's left behind. Do you suppose the Jews are pretty upset with the Assyrians? Yeah. Now, the Assyrians don't have the same level of power by this time, according to history. And it seems to be the case because all we're doing is having Jonah go to the city of Nineveh. And there's a king there. Rather than this great empire. So while they're still a very mighty nation and despised by Jews, we can see the reason why Jonah would be upset. It'd be as if we're growing up in the 70s. And who was our great nemesis of the United States of America? The Russians. We have all kinds of names for the Russians. Communists. Of course, we took that word to another level, right? Commies. Despising, if they came upon our shores and overcame us, do you think that if they occupied the United States that we'd be happy about it? Like, oh, such wonderful socialists. I think there'd be a lot of indignant individuals. A lot of people would despise them being on the shore here. Or taking us and having us go up into various parts of Russia that I wouldn't care to live at. I mean, that's the picture that I get. And here is Jonah so upset with this God because he knew his God was a merciful God. Not just merciful toward him or his people. But even to these foreign devils. But here's the thing. That fourth chapter, when you read verses 9 through 11, that is the crux of this entire letter. That is the reason and the purpose for what we have as a lesson today. It's called repentance and restoration. And guess who that lesson is for? It's for believers. I think it's easy for us to get the non-believers. You know when, when we have Bible classes? You know what comes to our mind? When we talk about Bible classes and we talk about truth and then error and, and we focus on an error, what's the first thing we have a reputation of doing? Pointing at thing, pointing fingers. This person to my right, my wife, or my husband, he she needs to be hearing this lesson. I mean, come on, I hope that they are paying attention. I've seen it with your eyes. I've seen the actual elbows go like this. I've seen it. You're guilty. (laughs) We also do it with people who are outside of this building, who have no way of defending their belief or their system. But we'll point our fingers at everyone else. But who? Ourselves. What's the purpose of Bible study? Is it for everyone else's growth? Or for my growth? You see, when Jonah was written, it's my personal estimation, this was written... To people who needed to hear this lesson. I don't think it was a story that God just puts in so that people could know this guy named Jonah. I don't think that's the the reason for the writing. The reason is that there was a lesson to be learned. And aren't we told in Romans chapter 15. When you read verses 1 through 4. Or 1 Corinthians and other passages. That these things were written for our understanding. Aren't we told that all scriptures are given by inspiration. And it's profitable for teaching, doctrine that is. 
for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we could be thoroughly equipped up to every good work. I believe Scripture is given for that reason. That's what this Scripture was given. And so here we have this familiar story, and then with the familiar story come familiar lessons. And we look at... Oh, I missed that. Not familiar lessons. Did we pass that? Ah, I'm sorry. I lost the slide. Well, there's some familiar lessons that we can gain. There are also some not-so-familiar lessons. The familiar lesson actually is on repentance, right? Didn't the people of Nineveh need to repent? Yeah, those big, those bad people, they needed to repent. So we got that lesson. We might even get the lesson about Jonah's need to repent. We can see he had a bad heart and that he needed to have a good heart. And maybe we picked up on that. You think about those sailors. Not quite as familiar. Or less familiar would be the Jews that got this letter, this book, what we call the book of Jonah. One of the minor, the fifth minor prophet. What about them? You see, this is not so familiar to us. It's not just a lesson about judgment and about repentance and what have you. It's to help believers. It's to help believers then, when this book was written, and now to see the need that we need to have a heart like God. Did you not pick that up at the very end? The lesson is found after 48 verses that make up this entire book. On the 48th verse is this lesson. That our hearts be like God. God says, should I not have taken pity upon these 120,000 souls in addition to those animals? You had pity on a plant. And I'm having pity upon precious souls in this world. And that's what we're looking at this morning. We're looking at this very lesson. And if we get this lesson, then I believe we understand this concept called repentance in a manner that brings genuine restoration to God. You see, sometimes we just get the picture, well, I'm a baptized believer. My ticket is punched. And of course, we know that mentally, biblically, from a Bible study standpoint, we know that it's more than that. We know that we need to be faithful unto death. We know these things. But somehow get this picture that repentance is this real shallow thing and, and forget this restoration aspect of repentance. And I believe the only way our, our understanding of repentance can be linked to this restoration is seen through the story. And if we get this story... And we get this lesson, brethren, we are closer to God now than before. I really believe this. And I really believe this is the way the story of Jonah needs to be taught. Not about some fish or, quote unquote, some whale swallowing up Jonah as if that's the story. That's just a small, insignificant to a greater thing. And, and, and when I say insignificant, it's significant. But compared to this lesson, this is the lesson right here. And so these are the things that we need to learn. We need to learn this concept of re repentance and restoration for me. Every one of us in this room needs to look at self, not point the fingers at everyone else, not to the spouse or to the children, to the parents, to the brother, the cousin, the neighbor, to my brother across that pew over there. It's for me. That's the thing that is important for us. If we learn that, we'll learn it. See, Jonah in my estimation, is not unlike a number of Christians today.
Oh, those people in that world. Oh, mercy. I gave this sermon because I was asked to preach on this at Jackson Heights. You're not second rate, brethren. I feel going to say, you just gave us leftovers. No, no, no. <laughs> By the way, I don't feel like preaching. No, no. <laughs> so you, you have this mindset. You know, we're so good. We're Christians. I got everything. I belong to the Lord. But those sorry people in the world, man, how could they live that way? I had a sister in Christ who was in her 70s came up to me and said, I needed that lesson. You were talking about me. I would look at people because of their worldly ways of living. And I despised those worldly ways. And thus, I despised them. Like, how could you live this way? I mentioned... The homosexual. I mentioned the drug addict. I mentioned all the different peoples. Adulterers. The drunkards. And went down the list of all the people. And do you know why these worldly people live this way? Because they're of the world. What other way do they know? That's my life before I was a Christian. How else would I know to live to God's glory unless I was taught to live to God's glory? Many have a difficulty understanding that. And so we look at lessons. We look at life from a small little box. It's called my bubble, my life. Everything is from my perspective. And so as a result of that, when I look at repentance, I look at my life. Oh, I've done it. I go to church twice a week. I quote unquote... I'm going to use it the way the denominational world uses it. I pay my tithes. Well, maybe not really 10%. But anyway, I pay. And we go on with that mindset. That I've done this, I've done that, I'm morally upright. I'm a Christian. And so our understanding of repentance is limited to self in that regard. And we may know that God is a merciful God. Jonah knew it. What a beautiful writing. That he can acknowledge that God is a long-suffering and merciful God. You know, when Jonah was in the belly of that fish, that great fish, I believe he was genuinely repentant. I honestly believe that. And he's acknowledging that. When you get to the 10th and 11th verse of that second chapter, he's made it very clear, I'm going to pay my vow, basically. In other words, you told me to go to Nineveh, I'm going to go. That sold it for God. He heard those words from Jonah from, from within that belly of that fish. And guess what he does? Spits him out of that fish. Okay. You said you repent. I want you to go and preach now. Just like I told you the last time. And so in that third chapter we see that. See, Jonah knew that God is a long-suffering and merciful God. He even stated that in the second chapter as well as he did in the fourth chapter. Some may even know that his mercy is toward the others. You see, when you get to the fourth chapter of Jonah, the one that we read, he says, I knew. That's the reason why I fled from you, God. I knew that you're a long-suffering and merciful God. I knew that if I had preached to them, there was a possibility they would repent. And if they repented, you would relent. See, Jonah even understood his mercy toward others. 
But he didn't like it. I cannot stand that serial killer. How could he even become a Christian? He deserves to die a thousand years of deaths. I mean, whatever we can think of, to just he doesn't deserve to have God's grace. <laughs> that's the mindset that Christians have. Some have, maybe not all, but that's not the mindset that we need to be having. But that's the way some think. We know that God is merciful toward all, but we may not want his mercy toward all. And as a result, we have this us versus them. And that us versus them can even go within the body of Christ. <laughs> this mentality. It's like the Pharisees versus the Sadducees. Or the Pharisees versus the Essenes. Or the Pharisees versus the freedmen. Or the Sadducees versus the Essenes. And so on. And whatever group of Judaism that existed about the time of Christ. And the same thing happens today. We've got this us versus them mentality. Us versus the world. And so I believe that many of us need the lesson today that was needed for these Jews when this was written. Well, that said, I want us to see the things that Jonah needs to learn, the things that we need to learn. See, Jonah needed to learn to have a compassionate heart upon the lost. You see, when I hear scriptures and when I listen to God's word, here's what my mind tells me. We need a balance. You need a balance from the quote-unquote positive things with regard to the teaching of God's Word and the negative things. Well, let me rephrase that because that's the words we use. It's all positive when it's from God's Word. From our vision of what's negative and what's positive, it's all positive. Rebuking is a positive thing. Reproof is positive. It's a good thing. It helps us to be near to God or to keep from straying away from Him. When we talk about God's love, we talk about God's compassion, we don't want to go so far over that we fail to see the righteousness of God, His justice, His laws. All that is, is equally important, and that's true. But you know, these are the lessons that are coming from God's Word, and they are about, you heard that, that law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And that we, when you learn, when he says, what is the great commandment? Love your God and love your neighbor. All these lessons about compassion, about love, that's because that's what is needed if you're going to have a heart like God. And that's what's given here. I want to reread chapter 4 in the book of Jonah. This lesson you have to get if you're to have absolute restoration before your God. Again, after he sits and he waits, Jonah does, for what would happen upon Nineveh, God, with his grace upon Jonah, sends him the plant. And it causes shade, and Jonah gives thanks for the plant. And just as surely as God did that for him, to teach him a lesson, he takes that very plant that he made to grow and cause a shade for Jonah, takes it away with the worm that he appointed so that the, the tree is gone, the shade is gone, and to make matters more visible, if you will, for Jonah to learn this lesson, he appoints for this easterly wind or this storm or wind of great heat that brings itself across the city. And now Jonah's in a scorching sun. And he wants to die. And upon these very words, 
God says, as we read already, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah says, even to death, I'm right about it. But, the Lord said, you had pity on a plant for which you did not even labor. You did not make it grow. It came up in one night and perished in the night. You had nothing to do with it. You benefited from it, though, because I made it for you. Now, I'm paraphrasing this verse, but that's exactly what God is saying to him. I gave you, by my mercy, something you didn't deserve. You didn't deserve that shade. I brought it up for you. But I also took it away from you. Should I not have pity, not just upon you, Jonah, but upon the great city of Nineveh? This wicked city that had 120,000 persons. 120,000 souls. They don't even know their left hand from their right. The picture I get is this, and I know this is debated. What, that, what does that mean? They don't know their left hand from their right. I believe that while there's an understanding of morality, they did not know how to be pleasing to God. They knew how to be wicked, but they did not know how to be pleasing to God. But when the word of God came to them and told them judgment was coming, all they knew was we did evil. We need to repent. And they did exactly what they needed to do. Should I not have pity upon these 120,000 who don't even know their right hand from their left? And how about those animals? You may not have cared about those animals, but even I wanted them to be preserved and not die in my wrath. That's basically what, what God is telling Jonah. God told Jonah... I had pity. I had compassion upon these wicked souls. People who have never given glory to me. But when they stood up, or may I just rephrase, when they went down on their knees in repentance and wore sackcloth and buried themselves in ashes, when I saw that they were genuinely repentant, I restored them because of my compassion. And you need to learn that. That's why this book was written. Brethren, you have to understand, when you go and read through God's stories that He writes for us in these books like these minor prophets, in this particular one, it's not written just so that we get to know some prophet, we get to know some message just for them. This was written for our understanding. For our benefit. That our walk will be closer and closer to the image of our, our Lord and our Savior. And that's what we have here. So this cliff-like hanging of a, a hanger of an ending points to us that we would ponder. That we would reflect. That we would judge for ourselves. Kind of like what Phil was talking about out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 27 and 28. Judge for yourselves. Do you discern the Lord's body? Judge for yourself. Do you have the kind of compassionate heart that I had toward these wicked individuals? That makes all the difference in how you live before your fellow man and before your God. On which the law and prophet totaled up what we call the law. 
when you have that understanding, I believe you get to restore what's lacking in your life if you lack that kind of compassion. You see, God is more than just a holy and righteous God who is going to condemn the wicked. That's a guarantee. He will do that. But He wants everyone saved. We're told that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. While He is not slack concerning His promises, He doesn't want any soul to perish, but He wants everyone to come to repentance that they would have everlasting life. That's what we're told. That's why God so loved the world He gave His Son. That those who would call upon Him, well, how do they know unless we go and talk to them about the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ? But you're not going to do that if you don't have compassion for all these wicked sinners in this world. Of which are some of you. Do you have this kind of heart? Are you learning the lesson? Or are you going to just point fingers? You learn the lesson... And we draw near individually to our God. And we draw near collectively with one another as well. And toward the people that we're trying to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this lesson. Because that's very important. Is your heart like God? Is it in such a manner that you can look at these precious souls? Is it in such a manner that you can be just like those sailors who looked upon Jonah, these Gentiles who looked at this Jew who had a covenant relationship with God and have the kind of compassion that they had. So is it like Jonah? Is that what your heart is like? See, no one wants to have that kind of heart. But I'm telling you, surely as I'm standing here, there may be at least one of us in this room that has this very heart right now. And you don't want to hear this lesson. Or is your heart like God? Because that's the lesson that we need. That's the one that was given to us. We are told in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 that those who love the Lord, God has made us to be conformed into the image of His Son. What does that mean? Well, when Jesus came, He had compassion upon people. Compassion. Not just upon the Israelites who had no shepherd, but upon all those Gentiles that He went to as well. Is that the kind of heart that you have? And those who learn true repentance are those who are restored unto our God. That's the lesson for you.